Hello and welcome back to another episode of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and I am joined by returning Micah Chudley. Welcome back. It's been a while. Making my debut, Making my debut for the season. Yep. Fantastic. Um, so we've got a packed episode today. Firstly, me and Michael will be discussing the two most recent games against Sunderland and Swansea. And then it will be the main event with uh, the interview with Paul Smith, future himself, and uh, Sam Taylor. Um, maybe a little bit of transfer news as well. Not news, transfer news reaction, I guess is the right way to say it. Um, <clears throat> firstly, though, last Saturday, a really bad result, a really bad game. You know, I, I think I said to Ben on the last pod prior to the international break that Sunderland would be the first time I got to a game this season. I was really looking forward to it and I knew that it was all going to go wrong and boy, did it go wrong. It started all right though, didn't it? Didn't start too badly. Yeah. Um, nice goal from, from Ken. Um, <clears throat> I don't have any numbers or statistics on this. I just, as somebody that was at the game, I find it quite funny now. You consider where we were with Warburton, where it was almost exclusively do not ever shoot outside the box ever. Find that final pass. So now I think we, we've had like three 25-yarders already with Dizelle and Colback and now Powell. That's been, that's been quite fun. Long-range goals at Loftus Road again. Yeah, again, like... <sighs> It's about that happy medium, isn't it? We, you know, when someone says, can we have a few more long-range goals? Can we at least try shooting from outside the box? It's not sort of like, let's only do that. It's, you know, let's kind of be good enough to try and score multiple different ways yeah. of, you know, scoring rather well, than just I mean, one I mean, thing. Gareth will tell you, Gareth will tell you we're creating chances. And to be fair to him, we are. We're creating ch- how great those chances are. Like, people can debate for themselves, but... I think yeah. specifically for the Swansea game, we were, I mean, looking at the stats afterwards, we actually had something like eight to 11 shots or something like that. I, I can't 11, quite, yeah. I can't quite I remember that. Eight, yeah. yeah, But I think what's more telling is probably entries into the final third and then yeah. how much are we actually coming away from. But that's something to talk about with Swansea in terms of, Sunderland, there was definitely very few entries into the final third. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fact of the matter is, like, I'm sure he held his hands up in the hands up in the dressing room, but like Jack Colback has to take some responsibility there. I mean, I don't think we were playing as well as people make out before we went down to ten, but we were definitely competing. It was definitely an even game. And that is the type of game that, you know, you see it, you could see an Ainsworth team kind of like grinding out a 1-0 or, you know, maybe nicking an extra goal towards the end. Um, I have a feeling that was the planned trajectory for us. But Colback, you know, he's got history with Sunderland, right? Like, he's got, he, he may be the only player to be hated by both Newcastle and Sunderland fan. Um, he's, he's just lost his head, hasn't he? Like, yeah, it's... It, it, it's a bit really weird moment because from where I'm sitting, kind of like more of the loft end of South Africa road stand, everyone around me was convinced that it wasn't a red card. And in the moment, I 100% believed it wasn't a red card. And then I start going on Twitter at halftime and I see the photos, I see the videos, and I'm like, this this goal, this uh, 
this incident is sort of like the Bermuda Triangle. It's sort of like yeah. I've seen a completely different tackle from a completely exactly different angle. Exactly what happened. Exactly what happened to me. I, I was sat a little bit further down, so I was actually closer to the incident, right? And even I was like, oh, it's just you know, as a bit of momentum behind it, but I wouldn't have said red card. And then I saw, I think one screenshot of like his foot catching like the upper part of his like shin. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's a red card. (laughs) And it really pains me to say that it was a good decision by that referee because he was not good enough for the full 90 minutes. I mean, if you take out that incident, um, there's, I just find there's so many weird decisions that sort of went for Sunderland and then if the, a similar thing happened to us it would not go for us he was booking our players he wasn't booking their players there was a lot of there was a lot of carry on that he allowed yeah yeah there was a lot of that um looking at it here I'm not actually sure how many yellows were given out in the end I think I think Colback might have been the only card oh Kakai got booked as well um, but like, if you watched that game, you would have thought, you know, there'd be a few more yellow, especially from the, in my opinion, I'm biased, obviously, from the Sunderland end. I think they got away with quite a few with mm. that ref. But um, didn't Armstrong get booked at one point? Oh, he did. Sorry, he did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. <clears throat> that's going to be something that carries on throughout the season. Sort of his. I'm surprised he hasn't actually been booked a few more times for his physicality because there's the odd occasion where he's sort of through and the netball's not necessarily in a kind of like area that is under his control, but he he will barge a centre-back and said centre-back nine times out of ten goes flying because if you get like into a 50-50 with Sinclair Armstrong, I don't fancy your chances. Like there is no such thing as a 50-50 with Sinclair Armstrong. 60-40 is the lowest it can get. <laughs> um I'm surprised he hasn't been put for that a few more occasions because sometimes rest really don't like that sort of like battling yeah. I noticed that at Borough. He'd done that a couple of times at Borough. Um and he got away with it. Um but then on the flip side, I think Ainsworth said this this week as well, actually. There's a lot of fouls that aren't given for him as well. Mm. Flip side. So it's like, I don't know if you can say he's being punished for his physicality, because like you said, he's got away with a few on the other end. But at the same time, like there's there was this thing in basketball that they with Shaquille O'Neal, who um that I suppose is like the football equivalent of Sinclair Armstrong in that. That's a bit cool. Yeah, just like being physically overpowering like every other like mortal human being. But it was the same thing with him. He wouldn't get fouls. And like Phil Jackson, the old coach of the Lakers, he used to complain all the time that, oh, just because he's seven foot, 300 pounds, you know, doesn't mean he can't be fouled. Mm. And like, I think we, Sinclair's probably going to get the same thing. We did um, a bit with um, Big Matt Smith, didn't we? Particularly in the penalty box. You know, he would and that's what was... climb on him and then... It's like, yeah, but he's like six foot seven or whatever. But it doesn't matter. If he was five foot seven, that'd be a penalty. Yeah, well, that's what I was about to say. He's not the first player to kind of suffer suffer from that. I mean, like, if he wants to deal with that, he's probably got the best manager for it because I think Akin Fenwar used to get the same thing in his younger days as well. And although I really hate the Akin Fenwar Armstrong comparisons that I've seen from a lot of people on Twitter, I hate them. Um, 
I can agree that in that instance, yeah, there's there's similarities in kind of how they are physically. Um, a few other things to mention about this game, apart from in general, it just wasn't very good to watch. Keeping on the theme of Sinclair Armstrong, did you see his reaction to being subbed walking around the pitch? Uh, no, I missed that. He... It, I, me and my dad found it absolutely hilarious because he I can't remember what time he got subbed off, but he got subbed off for Dykes and he obviously hadn't had the rubber the green the whole game. And he wears his heart on his sleeve, the Sinclair, and he's just cutting off and he's getting the adulation from the whole ground. Like everyone loves him. And it's yeah. kind of he's in like this trance. He is walking along, eyes fully focused on getting back to the dugout. He's speak, he, he's saying something, you can't tell what he's saying, but he's saying something and he's like he's clearly furious that the whole crowd are like he did the same sort of walk Paul Smith did after in the Swansea game sort yeah. of walking all the way around past the loft end and back down the, the South Africa road stand but you could tell he's absolutely fuming and he's got he's got tunnel vision and it's someone I assume at the end of it is Gareth Ainsworth <laughs> 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 he's taking him off and I thought it was some sort of like WWE type sort of entrance like, <laughs> sort of, like the Undertaker storming into the ring or something it was brilliant it was it, it, there's that ever so slight comical side of Sinclair sometimes and I, I love it yeah <laughs> the, the one I loved was the uh, you probably I, I missed this a weeks ago but Middlesbrough, do you see uh, for the callback goal, he stayed on side for the callback goal? No. So you, you have to watch like carefully to see it because like if you're if you're watching the ball, you'll miss it. But what he does is he stood in front of the goalkeeper, so he'd be offside. So what he does, he just takes a step back and then just stands in the goal with his <laughs> arms folded. <laughs> the callback blasted it in, and he just unfolds his arms and starts sprinting towards him. Um, yeah, you know, we, we might be relegated, but we, it won't be without a laugh, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing to say about this game is, did we drop too deep, basically? Were we allowing the, too much pressure? After the red us? card? Yeah. yeah mm, I'll say yeah. I, I will say yeah, but I also don't blame him to an extent because I think... Sunderland as it is, they play with like three false nines. Like at different points, they had they had different guys playing up front. They had Jack Clark up front at one point. They had Job Belling or Job, I should say. What's your thoughts on that, by the way? Job have Job Bellingham. Just having just Job. Job shirt. Yeah, I don't like it really. Like, I don't like it either. I'll be honest with you. I think that's. I know he's trying to sort of not be. I don't want to say he doesn't want to be compared to his brother, but it, obviously, but, like his brother's got the sort of like the Bellingham name. That's what it is. Isn't it? Yeah. So he wants. I to don't notice. think you shouldn't be allowed to have your first name on a shirt unless either your dad, like Deli Ali, is just a bit of a deadbeat dad, and you don't want your surname on the shirt. Fair. Or you're Brazilian, right? So like, you know what I mean? Like Kaka yeah. or yeah. Ronaldinho or. or He's not the best player in the world, or Anthony. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't have because what, what's going to happen now? Like, you're just going to have kids running around with like Gary on the back of their shirt, or Dave. No, no, it, you're right. It's wrong. Shouldn't be allowed. That's not the game I love. Um, but yeah. Anyway, sorry. Back on back on track. Good player. Um, <laughs> sorry. Good player. The footballing genes, you know, run deep in that immediate family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well done to their parents, I, I guess. 
Um, but did they drop? Did they drop too deep? Um, it's hard when you when you have a false nine. Anyway, the natural inclination is when you're trying to be cautious. Is all right. Let's not go and press him because the point of the false nine is supposed to drag the defenders out of position. So let's kind of just sit here, seeing as they're going to keep rotating their strike. So I kind of understood it from that standpoint. We were one nil up. And, you know, maybe we were going to try and catch them on a break. But I think with 60 minutes left of the game, you're asking a team quite a lot to kind of defend 60 minutes. Yeah, I kind of wanted at least some sort of, I'm not going to say effort, because that's not the right word, but I'd quite have liked a few more attempts at being a bit more constructive with the ball once we had it uh, on the rare occasion. And, you know... (laughs) Again, not saying they didn't try, but they, I thought at times we were a little bit too willing just to sort of sacrifice possession. At home, yeah. that's always going to be a really dodgy thing to do because fans want us on the front foot at home. That's always been the case. That goes yeah. to most fans. That's not exclusive to QPR. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, the, it, I thought it worked for the first for the, to the end of the first half. We got unlucky with that goal two pretty significant deflections I'd say and then you've got to come out in the second half and I thought at that point would have been a really good opportunity to make a sub at half time and it sounds crazy to say this because I'm wanting them to be more attacking but I actually would have taken off chair because he wasn't playing in his role he wasn't and it it just felt like if we're gonna do this sort of back to the wall thing I'd rather have like a proper midfielder in there and then you know as we've seen on Tuesday, Sam Field is prone to getting a bit further forward in this team. Mm-hmm. You need you could have your box to box kind of midfielder. Let and so I don't know who would have fitted in to that perfectly. I would have liked to have seen just because he keep, keeps coming to mind. I'd have liked to have seen Dixon Bonner come on at halftime just to see what that how that would have gone. But yeah, I felt was- like chairing midfield playing that role was just a bit of a waste. I thought you know if you're not going to pl- can't play him in this in his actual position in this game. Let's get him off and get someone else on. And then you have that little bit more defensive stability, I think, as well. Yeah, it's, it's in the, the thing that I give Ainsworth the most credit for in... Because, like, if you want to count the back end of last season, you can count it, right? But I don't really count. That was just a mess. And you're kind of really just trying to put a team together that stays in the league. But if you go from the Watford game onwards... You have to say, for the first time, really, since we had Eze, the team isn't relying on Chair or Willock anymore to win games. There's there's more solutions. Um, With that in mind, I can understand keeping someone like Chair on the pitch in that situation, because as we saw, I know we'll get to Tuesday, but as we saw on Tuesday, he can have that one moment where he finds the right pass or the right cross. for me, I'm still not convinced that we found his best role in the Ainsworth team. Um, I think maybe Tuesday, again, we'll get to Tuesday, but Tuesday made me think, okay, fair enough. I'm still not completely convinced because he's not quick. He accelerates off the mark fast, but like he's not a super quick player. Definitely not physical, but he does run hard. So there, there's a use for him in a team, but I still feel like we've maybe not quite cracked what chair looks like under Ainsworth yet. Don't know so about let, you. Yeah, I'd agree. 
yeah, Sun- Swansea was much more of the sort of Beal style lineup, wasn't it? With your two tens. But I think that kind of comes from Dezel being a bit deeper. Yeah. If you look at Colback and Field, they're, they're very good at what they do. <clears throat> but in possession, you, you can't really like play through them as mm-hmm. much possession. Dezel's a bit more comfortable with the ball. I mean, like, I know like we were backs against the ball for most of the game, but if you look at it, I think we had 50% possession on Tuesday versus like 28 on um <laughs> on um Saturday, which I know game state matters and all of that, but like that's a it's pretty big difference. It's double the possession. Yeah. Let's talk about Tuesday because we've mentioned it often enough now. Um I, I would today's for me, I'd sum it up by saying it was better but not brilliant. There was obvious things that we need to improve on. But yeah, it was one weird day. We haven't had one of these on QPR Twitter for ages, but it's one of those weird days where the people that thought it was bad were just going way overboard, acting like it's the worst that they've ever seen us play, which I think is just like right. It wasn't amazing, but it definitely wasn't awful. And then maybe the people that are trying to be positive are kind of trying to paint it as this, oh, we were unbelievable, we just got unlucky, when I think maybe we were like 7 out of 10, like third gear, maybe fourth. Like we never really, for me, got going. It's the context around the game though as well that's disappointing for this one, isn't it? Because Swansea come into it in really bad form. We're looking for our first home win since... Well, it would have been Watford. Yeah, Watford in um, March. So that's a really long time. We're looking for a home win to get a bit of good feeling because if you go and see QPR play away from home, as some people will do this evening, it's a good chance that with you know Ainsworth football, I'm not going to say it's entirely suited to playing away from home, but there's aspects to it which do kind of suit it a little bit better. Yeah. And you can see that in the performances. Yeah, you can see it yeah. in the wins, where we've got those wins and how we've got them as well. But the context of Swansea on the verge of potentially sacking a manager, a team just that have lost their main goal-scoring threat to Leeds, you know, there was an opportunity there to get that win. And that yeah. rumbles on. And that's what a lot of people were really disappointed with, I think. Having said that, it's not the end of the world that we've drawn that game. I think it's much more of a positive that we got that goal in the end, we kept fighting. And in reality, we were a dodgy refereeing decision away from potentially getting something a little bit more out of the game. And I don't like playing what-if sort of views with football games because it's hard to tell whether we would have had so much of the ball, would Swansea have been a bit more expansive. But, you know, take away their goal, we're the better team, we win the game, I'd say. Yeah, and I mean, I, I said it in our chat, to be fair, the other day, but I mean, like, what do people think Swansea were thinking coming into this? If you're Michael Duff, right, and your job is potentially on the line and you've lost the dressing room or whatever and you need a result, you're thinking, where's a better place to go than uh, home ground where the team that plays there has won once there all year? So they're, we're, we're looking at them like, nice, cool. Perfect. They're looking at us like, oh, it's lunchtime. Great. Fantastic. We're we're up against statistically the worst home team in the country over the past nine months. So, I mean, like, yeah, don't get me wrong. I went into the game hoping we would win, but we've not lost. It's not the end of the world. And really, like, maybe people 
the same people who thought we wouldn't get a single point this season are now upset that we didn't get three at Swansea. Maybe people should just be grateful. Let's let's have incremental steps first. Like let's win. Like let's not lose home games before we start demanding we win them. Let's yeah. let's keep clean sheets before we start demanding we blow teams away like four or five nil, you know? Like we're really I know the squad has stayed quite similar, but we're really kind of starting from scratch. And I think more yeah. people need to expect that. On the topic of starting from scratch, I'm not a lover of people tweeting about these sort of like tables combined of this year and last year. It's like it's two different seasons. It's two entirely different squads. It, the, the context is just so different. What? Why what is it needed? It? Like, what is anybody getting out of that other than that like it's been miserable to support QPR for the best part of two years? Yeah. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't get it. Like, it's it's a different season. You should at least be judging them on the what's happening in front of you now because it's so... Yeah. It is, you know, again, it's not perfect, but the difference is still quite big, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I don't I just think people love misery, especially in this fan base. People just love being miserable. <laughs> like, I don't understand it. But Let's yeah, talk, well, talk about um, two players that have done good recently um, and two players that had their career critics for a long time. Dezel and Kakai had a pretty decent game, especially Dezel in that second half, like you said, playing that deeper role, allowing Field to do something different. It's um I like I, I'm glad to see something different happening with those two players in the field. Absolutely. Bringing more out of them at last. Absolutely. Firstly I want to say we've been saying on this pod since its inception, like the COVID days, yeah that Kakai should play as the third centre-back in a back three. We've all said it. I'm not saying that Ainsworth listens to the pod, but... (laughs) Dezel, on the other hand, me especially, I've been critical of him because for years, well, he's only been in three, but other than the Cardiff pass, the the thing Van Dezel has been like, what does he do? Like, what, what, (laughs) What does he actually do other than nice touches? I think Ainsworth's clearly seen something him a little bit further forward like has a kind of like a more like an advanced playmaker, kind of a 10 or whatever. Um, just looks so much more comfortable there, doesn't he? Yeah. And I really liked actually Field coming into the sort of final third as well. I, I said to you guys, I, I wouldn't necessarily say he should be finding himself down the left because if you look at it, when we do have Chair and Pal on the pitch, like, uh, you know, Wallace before him, they're linking up pretty well down there. You don't need mm. to sort of disrupt that by adding another yeah. fit player in. What we need is bodies in the box. And Field is strong enough, willing enough to compete with those bigger players in the championship. He's got that in him. He's a brilliant defensive midfielder. If he can get into the box, making a few couple of late runs, you saw that against in his first game against uh, Brentford. We, we need that from him a bit more often in the box putting his body about because it's then so just that one extra player. It's like, well, who do we mark now? You know, it's yeah. dragging someone else. Dykes ends up having two players on him a lot of the time when he cat when he get, does get free, he's decent, but you cannot just go about having one player in the box because chair, we look, they don't get in, in the way in there in the same way. Use field to your advantage, get him in there. That's the big difference with, with Gasball in it is I noticed this even last season. Um, more towards the start, less around the 
when things got desperate. But like the amount of bodies we've got in the box, the gas, like so much more than I can remember in recent times. Anyway, yeah. Um, another one I wanted to talk about playing to the striker's strengths. This was kind of spurred on by. Well, I want I want to see certain things from St. Clair Armstrong, but specific, specifically from Dykes, right? He could have had a brace. He could have had a hat-trick in that game if he really wanted it. Um, the brace was probably more likely. I think Field actually put a really good ball into him. It was a low one, but he didn't quite anticipate it properly and ended up sort of being just behind the ball when it came in, didn't get a good connection, and the defender got in ahead of him. So he was kind of, he was so close to being in the right position. You see that ball from Chair at the end, and he scores a brilliant goal. Like, it's such a, a difficult chance. And he flicks it on with a ridiculous amount of ease for a striker. Um, do, you remember, um, do you remember the Reading goal from last season? What, when, with Kakai? Yeah. Reminded me of that. It's like the Dykes paradox is that with his head, when he uses his head, and I don't mean that use your head as in, like, be smart. I mean, literally use your head to head the ball into the back of the net. He's... <laughs> probably one of the better players in the championship at doing that when he does it, you know? With his feet going going to goal, it's like, it's slightly frustrating. But why aren't we just sort of, instead of fanning about with it, do it, cutting back, cutting back, cutting back. Chair, put that ball into the box. You're good enough. Dykes is good enough. Like, Let me ask you a question. This is the real Dykes paradox, right? How do you feel about Dykes taking the throw-ins because undoubtedly he is <laughs> undoubtedly he is our best long throwing taker like the, the range he gets with his long throws and I noticed this because he took a couple last season is ridiculous but he's also our tallest striker and our one of our better headers of the ball I would like to see someone other than Morgan Fox on the other end of it, because he, despite he, he's, I know why he's there because he's the more mobile of the two centre backs, and he can probably get back. But he's not the tallest of centre backs you've ever seen. He's but, not. You know, he's really a left back. Playing he's a left back by trade, isn't he? So yeah. you're throwing it in, and he gets like smothered by two centre backs. It worked all right the weekend because someone couldn't clear their lines, and that's how eventually we get that goal. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't. I think it's. I think it's bizarre. I think it works better when you can have someone like Jimmy Dunn, at least, who's going to really yeah. compete. It's like the... Um, it's not, not to, Sorry to bring up Chelsea, but it's like the Sterling paradox at Chelsea when Sterling's their best goal scorer and their best creator, but their next best goal scorer stinks and their next best creator stinks. So w w what do you do? Do you, do you gear the team around him scoring or him creating? It's the same, it's the same with the throw-in thing. But... Um, um, the other thing I wanted to say about playing to our strikers' strengths is that I think there's a few too many balls that go over the top of Armstrong for him to kind of chase on into the distance. I would like to see it played not, I don't know, think direct's the word, but just the through ball along the ground, getting turned in and going one-on-one -on -one with defenders yeah, at the I goal. Actually, I actually think once, I think the end goal here is 3-5-2 with Dykes and Armstrong up front. Or even Dykes dropping into like that Joe Linton role and maybe keeping it as the 3-4-2-1. I think some of those direct balls will start to come towards Dykes and Dykes pretty good at like bringing it down out of the air. I would say he's better at bringing it down out of the air than he is like flicking it on. So I imagine once Dykes come in, we'll start seeing 
us play a little bit more through Dykes to Armstrong as opposed to just straight to Armstrong. I'm not really I'm not really super concerned about goals this year. I don't know why. I just feel like Dykes and Armstrong will probably get double figure. I don't know why I feel like they will, but I just think they will. Um, it's nice to have that little bit of confidence, I guess. Well, there's no like reasoning behind it. There's no justification. <laughs> <like> they will. <laughs> um, very quickly, uh, we have about two minutes left on this podcast recording uh, before we, uh, for those listening, before we transfer you over to the Smith part of the podcast. Um, where does this potential new right back canon fit in, and how excited are you about that? I know nothing about him. I'm just going to get it clear, other than he was linked with a couple um, Premier League teams and that he's got a bit of international experience. I imagine he comes in to the Kakai role, that sort of right centre-back role. I imagine maybe we start using Kakai a little bit further forward. Um, maybe it means changing shape. Maybe it's just strength in numbers, but I'd be surprised if he comes in and isn't starting. Yeah, I mean, you look at the centre-back options as well, realistically, at some point. If he's fit enough, Clark Salter will be starting games, I'd imagine. And I think he starts tonight. Yeah, you've got the interesting sort of conundrum about whether Jimmy Dunn fits in somewhere there. Mm. I mean, really, Cannon can play, I think, right back or centre back. So uh, seeing him right wing back wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, yeah, I, I just think considering how far forward Smith gets. Well, I think for me personally, Smith's probably been our best player this season. I'm not just saying that because he's about to be on the pod, but um, like, can you can you drop Smith? Don't I don't think you can. You can. Um, and that's a perfect segue. So you're gonna we're gonna leave me and Micah behind for for this podcast now, uh, and we will now be passing over to well me again, but from a different <laughs> point. And uh, Arjen founder Sam Taylor interviewing his poss- possibly Sam's favourite QPR player of all time, Paul Smith. So uh, now um, myself, Alex and Sam are joined by QPR's Paul Smith. Paul, thank you very much for coming on and talking to us. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. No problem. Um, so let's uh, start with, uh, I guess, a big positive for yourself. Uh, going back to the international break last week, breaking into the international team again. Um, was that one of the sort of big reasons for deciding to come back to QPR? Yeah, of course. Um, well, first of all, I was getting back to the championship and kind of proving what I can do um, and hopefully getting that recognition for international level and that I came across um, it was a nice call up and just unfortunate we could beat both games but it was a call up and that's what I want many more of them so all I can do is be patient keep playing a QPR and hopefully that keeps happening Cool and coming back to when you rejoined of course we had a bit of a interesting run in towards the end of last season what was it like coming into a squad that's kind of you know been through the ringer in that second half of last year um i, I was keeping an eye on it to be fair it was quite tough for them but i don't really know the ins and outs of the back in, in, in behind the scenes but 
when I came in, everyone was positive. Everyone was ready to attack the season again and, and kind of forgot about that season. I think safety was the, the priority for them. And once they guaranteed that, it was, now let's focus on this season and, and try and bring in players and, and big up the squad and get pushing. Um, so from outside of the squad, uh, certain sort of people with opinions and pundits kind of have uh, a less than favourable view of, I guess, the, the situation of, I guess, last season in mind. So, like, how is it as a being a part of that the squad and sort of like are you putting those sort of opinions out of mind as a group, or is it something that you're sort of just not aware of at all? You try and pay no attention to it. opinions come in football, and that's social media is probably the worst place to ever go on and, and look for look up yourself and see what people are saying about you, and um, because it's mostly negative, but. Yeah, the boys have been like like doing well this season, and and I think most of them are trying to stay off social media to stay away from the negativity because it's not what you need in 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 this season. And like in in inside the training ground, we're all positive, we're all full of beans, and we're all ready to go. And we've been doing well this season, and it's just now starting to get kicker. Yeah. Um. So turning more towards uh, this last week and um. Saturday's game must have been quite a difficult one to play in with what, the weather and stuff like that. Um, and then also going down to 10 men. Was Has there been much reflection sort of prior to Swansea and the rest of this week about how that game went and how to sort of cope with going down to 10 men and losing such an experienced player? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know we um, obviously had a look back at the game. It was just an unfortunate sending off. And from then, you're just having to dig deep and defend as much as you can and try and catch them on the counter because... You are playing against a good team at top side in Sunderland, and it was just unfortunate the way the results went. Um, but then we were able to kind of rectify that against Swansea. Um, like I said, everyone knew that the goal shouldn't have stood. Uh, the handball was absolutely bizarre. I don't know how the linesman didn't see it, but listen, we had to dig deep and try and get that equaliser, and thankfully Dicey did. And now we've got a game coming tomorrow, so it's quick and turn turnovers quite quick. So. Feeling it. And as a player in those games where you go down to Teng Men or, you know, one of the, that decision goes against you, they have a goal that shouldn't go in, that goes in. Uh, do, do you kind of thrive with those challenges as a team? Is that something you look forward to, you know, being able to, you know, push yourselves? That must be quite motivating to be able to, you know, go up against it and kind of, I don't know, give it your all. Of course, yeah. You like to be, uh, like, teams, like, write you off. People write you off and you like to prove them wrong. Um and um, with Sunderland, it was just unfortunate. But with Swansea, it was, I think we were the better team on the day. And if we had taken our chances, we could have won the game five. But it is what it is. We got the point. And like I said, you got a game on Friday to, to, to win. And generally this season, in defence as well, we've seen you kind of drop into more of a wing-back role. Is, what's that like? Are you enjoying that new challenge? Yeah, the defensive side of things, no, but the attacking side, yes. <laughs> I go when I get more of the ball, I'm able to do my thing. But no, it's a it's a learning curve for me. Um, defensively, I get to work on on the de defensive side of the game. Um, and attacking when I get my chance, I get to enjoy taking on a fullback. Um, I've got good players behind me to to help me and guide me in the the right direction. Um, and yeah, like I said, I've been been learning every day and. Even in training, I'm trying to learn the, the position even better so I can help the team. And hopefully I'm doing it. And yeah, I could just continue on, really. 
do you feel Tuesday night with obviously it's a bit of a different challenge playing against Swansea? They're a team sort of in different areas to uh, Sunderland. But do you reckon that was more of a game that was you were more able to sort of unleash your attack inside a bit more? Um, yes, I know. Like Championship in, in general is difficult. Any team you play against is going to be hard. So you might not even be able to get the show your attack inside of the game. Um, it just depends how the team play on the day. But I think Swansea first 15 minutes put on a high press and we were doing our best to try and play our way out of it. Um, and, I, and I think we did most of the time, apart from a couple of turnovers. But besides that, I think we were able to showcase the quality we have in the squad and that desire to to want to win and, and fight to, like I said, get the equaliser. Well, when I was kind of younger and supporting QPR early on, Gareth Ainsworth was one of the first players I remember falling in love with the club. He, his, he was just such a character and, you know, he was so exciting to watch play. I can only imagine what it's like to have him as a manager. You're enjoying being under Gareth. Yeah, he's brilliant. You know, he's a bundle of energy, especially for everyone, even for the staff as well. Um, and what you see is what you get with him. He doesn't change who he is. He brings that positivity everywhere he goes and he brings it onto the pitch as you see him head and kick everything he can. Um but no, he's he's like I said, he's he's that positive. He's never thinking about the negatives. He's always trying to, to keep the boys happy and keep them moving forward and positive. And I think that's what he's doing. Yeah. Um and Tuesday night, is that more of the sort of football we can expect from this side sort of going forward, a bit more sort of front foot play, I guess? Yeah, hundred percent. Um like that's we've got so many attacking players in the team that are top quality and if we can get them on the ball and, and let them showcase what they can do I think they'll start creating more chances and like I said if we start taking them I think we'll climb up the table quite quickly uh, Obviously you played under Gareth before but do you think you've come a long way as a player since the last time you were with Gareth? Yeah 100% um, I was quite immature when I was playing under him I think I was 18 and just running around like a little kid Um now I've had a little man, I've got a family and I'm, I'm, I've went away on loan several times and I've, I went to Leighton Orient for two years and, and quite kind of matured, learned the game a little bit more and I've still still got that energy and that activity in me, but I'm kind of calm a bit more when I need to be. Um, but yeah, like I said, I've, I've learned the game a lot better since then and, and I'm still learning today. I can learn every day and um, yeah, he's a double and a gaffer helping me in every way I can. Um, how does Ainsworth uh, compare to some of the other managers that you've played under at QPR? Um, he's just like, he can be strict, but he's quite easy going. He's a family man and like, he's always there to look after the boys and he'll back us till his grave. Like he says, I want you to do your thing. And if it doesn't work off, he says, I'll take the blame. He says it all the time. And it just makes us want to play for him even more because we don't want him to take the blame for us if we're doing anything wrong. So, yeah, he's um, he, he's very good to have around. And like I said, yeah, he's, he's very, very positive and, and keeps us ticking. And just generally with this team, obviously we've seen a bits and pieces of what we can do. What do you think success looks like for this team? What can, what can this team achieve? Whatever they want. Really, um, the quality, like I said, we have in the team with the players, and the, the more the players we're bringing in, I think um, we've got a good chance to to push playoffs. Yes, people might think it's bizarre, but I think if people come in and see the quality we actually have, and once once we start taking our chances, like I said, we'll climb up that table and, and prove a lot of people wrong.
Um, what's been the biggest challenge of stepping up from League Two back to the Championship? And, um, you know, have you needed to sort of change anything in your game? Just be more precise. Um, I think, like, if you give away the ball, the team's going to punish you more than they would in League Two. I think in League Two, we had the best team in League Two, hence why we won the league. Um, and you had that, you were able to risk more and things mightn't have like happened in, at the back because you're such a strong team. But uh, in the championship, I think you lose the ball, they'll, they'll punish you a lot more because the quality of players are a lot better, they're a lot sharper. And yeah, it just keeps you on your toes. And that's why I love it. And Do you feel the need to sort of prove anyone wrong? You've kind of mentioned sort of like, you know, as a team, you want to prove people wrong. But do you feel individually coming back to the championship, there's a bit of a point to prove? Um, I don't need to prove to anyone but myself. Um, I wanted to prove myself that I could play at this level and I can and I can do what I did in League Two in this level. And I'm just hoping that everyone sees that and, and, it, and it's happening because um, I'm playing with a smile on my face and I'm enjoying every day that, that I get here. And I hope that I'm showcasing my, my quality um, and hopefully there's a lot more to come because I'm working every day in the tuning ground to try and master a lot of things. So hopefully on Friday, we'll see you Something I'm always fascinated in with football is obviously we know players have certain ability and you can see people run rings around someone, but then occasion is always a big thing in football. When you know you have to win, you know, mentality comes into play. As a player for you, what's sort of the balance between, you know, the the technical side of football and then the mentality and how important, you know, they are in with balancing each other out? Massive. Um, I think I have... I'm lucky enough to have both sides of the game. Um, technically, sometimes, I, like I'm, I'm learning every day still, technically, you can always sharpen your tools. Um, I'm working with, with Paul Hall still in the training ground, sharpening my tools up a little bit more. And he, he always talks about having more clubs, um, more clubs to pull out of the bag. Um, and I'm working on a lot of tricks. Um, but yeah, like you said, with the mentality side of winning the games, you need that in football because if you don't have it, then where's your desire, where's your hunger to go on and win a game if you're one nil down? Um, and like you've seen with this team on Tuesday, we've got that and we've got a lot more of it to come. And do you have some specific personal targets for yourself this season? To play as many games as possible every year. Um, I've always wanted to play the full season and I've been shot down with some injuries over the past. Um, and that's another thing. I like to to keep myself fit and I want to play every game because I know there's a lot of people say that I'm injury prone and I'm constantly injured and I'm, I'm not available for many games. So I think that's my target. And I guess you could say that's me trying to prove everyone everyone wrong in, in that sense. Um, but yeah, just play as many games as possible and help the team as much as I can. And uh, coming back to QPR, was that a, a difficult decision to make? Or, you know, because I, I know that when you left first time round, I was gutted to see you go. I know Sam was really gutted as well. Was it a difficult decision to come back to a club? Um, yes, because I had so much joy at Leighton Orient um, and the club were brilliant to me. Um, they gave me everything I need and I was able to to play with the freedom and, and show show my ability on the ball. Um, and the manager was brilliant there, assistant manager, the whole the whole staff were, were outstanding. But I was traveling two and a half hours a day to training, um, driving 140 miles to, 
and I was staying in hotels and I was missing my little man growing up. I was missing so many things. Um, and yeah, I think the travel was the big reason why I came back to QPR because I'm literally half an hour rent from here and I'm able to go home, see my little man grow up and I get to see him earlier in the day and I put him to bed when I get home. So yeah, I'm, uh, I think that was one of the biggest reasons why. And like I said, I've been here before and I wanted to prove myself that I could play in the championship and continue on. It's quite interesting because I think a lot of people kind of forget that, you know, footballers have lives outside of football and it's kind of, you know, to hear that as a as a reason why you might move to a club, regardless of the fact that, you know, high division or not, it's quite a sort of interesting reminder, I guess. Yeah, of course. I sat there with my family for a while. It was literally took me nearly a month to make a decision um, and I was getting forced to try and sign deals and it was just a tough window for me, but... Thankfully, I've I've made my decision, and I'm just going to attack it with everything I have. Yeah, and did you ever think, sort of like you know, prior to these type of moves, do you ever think in your career that you'd be sort of moving back to a club? Because it's not necessarily something that a lot of footballers. I don't know whether it's something that they like to do, whether they just try it, or if it just doesn't sort of happen a lot of the time. But it, you don't see it that often. Yeah, I mean, you just got to be patient, and if it happens, it it kind of does. And for me, I was fortunate enough for it to happen. Um, I had a tough four years when I was at the club previous and I'd like to change that and, and make it a lot better and, and have a positive three years that I have here and, and show everyone that I deserve to stay over the four years that I was there. Uh, I, I, I remember back when you scored your first goal for the club. Uh, that was We were all really excited that we had this new exciting prospect. Um, we were then frustrated, I think, when we didn't get to see you week in, week out. It must have been frustrating being on the other side of that, not being able to, you know, get back on the pitch. How did you sort of feel about, you know, not being given that opportunity? Of course, it's frustrating. You want to play every game you can. But again, I was young as well. And, and some of the players I tried to get ahead of were like Jimmy Mackey. I had... Eze, I had Elias, I had Bredese, Samuels, like I had all these top quality players. You look at Eze in the Prem, Bright at Ferabachi, like all these quality players and, and me coming from Linfield, the semi-pro team, and, and they've came through the academy and went that way. And yes, it's tough for me, but I had that hunger to prove people wrong and, and say that I wasn't just this young kid that came across and, and got lucky. Um, and I've, I've been promoted twice with two teams and I'm now at QPR and I'm able to continue my career and then push push forward and hopefully one day make the Premier League. Does it feel like the same club or does it feel like it's been through a few changes in the last couple of years? Obviously, we've been sort of flirting a bit with the higher end of the table. Um, but yeah, does it feel different when you were last here? Yeah, massively. Um, obviously, a lot of people have changed. Players have come and go and, and staff have come and go. Um, but... The way things are running now, there's a lot more positivity running through this, the, the place. There's a new training ground, new facilities, stadium, fans, everything is just all in the up. Um, and the players that he's bringing in are players that want to be here and want to play for the club and play for the badge and, and go out there and perform for the fans who pay their hard-earned money to come watch us. And a more general question, just because I always wonder how sort of players see each other. Are there players, you know, in the in the Prem internationally, even growing up, who sort of inspire you? Sort of, you aim to re replicate their sort of style of play. Who are your footballing heroes generally? Ah, uh, my hero growing up was Henrik Larsson. 
<laughs> Celtic legend. I'm a massive Celtic fan. Um, watched Celtic through and through. Watched Aidan McGeady growing up when he was at Celtic. He was technically unbelievable, taking on players, getting the freedom to do what he wants. Um, but Henrik Larson would have been my idol. I watched Messi. Everyone watches Messi, the ability he has too. Um, but I like to be me, be different, be be fun and energetic. And I don't know if they have that energy like I do, but I don't see it on the in, on the looking in. But yeah, I'm me, and I ain't gonna change. Yeah, good, good. Um, last question then. Sam's already mentioned your first goal. And then looking at the highlights as well, your second goal for the club, that you brought out the sort of backflip celebration. When the, the first goal of this spell comes around, are we going to see those? 100%. The first again? thing it's coming out, yeah. I'm doing backflips in training, practicing. Right? <laughs> the goal coming, so I hope when it happens, I'll master it and everyone thinks this is unbelievable. This. Brilliant. Well, I have to say it's fantastic to have you back at the club and it's been great watching you last couple of months. So, you know, good luck for the rest of the season and, uh, yeah, thanks very much for coming on. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. No problem. So I hope you all enjoyed that interview. That was Paul Smith there talking to myself and Sam earlier this week. Uh, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Our Generation on Air. These come out weekly, if you do not know, if you're listening for the first time, just to hear a bit of Paul Smith content. Uh, so, yeah, subscribe to us on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. Leave us a review if that's the sort of thing that you feel like doing. But uh, thank you very much for listening. Until next time, come on, you ask.